0: The Indie Shooter Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Indie Shooter Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Milby. Recently, I hosted a panel of Society of Camera Operators at Panasonic Hollywood, where we discussed their careers as operators in the industry and also how Panasonic supports filmmakers of all levels. Panel members included David Salmons, SOC who has over 100 credits listed on IMDb as a camera operator for features and television shows like Let's Be Cops, Key & Peele, Shameless, and most recently, Future Man. Pedro Guimaraes, SOC hails from Brazil. He operates Steadicam, as well as underwater work, and has over 50 camera operator credits. Lawrence Dunn has almost 30 years in the industry, much of which was spent as a technician, manager, and trainer for Panavision. Currently, he works at Panasonic, where he serves as the manager of cinema development. Tonight, we're going to have just a brief conversation uh, with uh, these uh, two gentlemen and also uh, Lawrence from Panasonic regarding their experience in the SOC. So uh, let me just start by introducing. It's Pedro.
0: Guimaris. yeah. Guimara. I got it. Yeah. Portuguese or Brazilian, rather. So it's a little little tongue twister.
1: SOC and uh, Pedro, talk a little bit about uh, how long have you been a member of the SOC and how long have you been operating for?
0: Um, I think member of SOC 2010, possibly, oh, wow. and operating uh, maybe about 15 years um, in the Steadicam vest for 12, 13, something like that. Yeah, so primarily Steadicam operator um, and underwater aerial but mainly Steadicam. And then, of course, it uh, naturally bled into, now, the uh, gimbal work.
1: And Dave Salmon's SOC. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, when you became a member and... Uh... Um, so,
2: I got in the SOC probably about the same time as Pedro, probably around 2010, 2011. Been an operator since, for a really long time. But um, officially, like in the union, I became an operator in 2004. So uh,
1: about 14 years. And, uh, Dave, uh, talk a little bit about some of You've been primarily in the television world uh, for, yeah. for for a number of years. Uh, yep. Talk a little bit about what that day-to-day is like a little bit.
2: Um, oh, well, it's long hours, a lot of them. A lot of times. I think I've gotten better at picking shows that are shorter hours with nicer people. <laughs> I think that's what my career taught me. Um, it's, you know... It's a bit of a grind. I I really actually like the opportunity to go out and day play and and see some of the people I haven't seen uh, very often. And because I've kept my foot in the television world for long enough, those opportunities keep coming back to me. And um, I get to go out and see people on set and give hugs. And it's quite fun, you know, to go out and uh, just reconnect with people here in L.A. Um, It's really nice. Um, In terms of... My career path, I am not a Steadicam operator. Um, I do all kinds of handheld. I've done all kinds of aerial. I don't do underwater. Uh, Lots of crane work, uh, ultimate arm, Russian arm, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, So just about any other operating other than Steadicam. Now we're doing a lot of gimbals. Um, And, you know, you you have to be a jack of all trades for sure. Um, And I feel like I've certainly cultivated that over my, you know, 14 years of you know, being a union operator, but uh, it's, it's constantly changing. You know, today I must have been in six different configurations with a camera, and that's, on average, I would say it's probably more like 10, where we're bouncing from the dolly to a geared head to a, a fluid head to a lambda underslung to a gimbal, uh, you know, sometimes even onto a crane, and then you're just constantly hopscotching back and forth. Um, So it's kept me busy, and it keeps me entertained, (laughs) too.
1: Pedro, I was reading on your website, you started in uh, IT, is is, is that right? How did did that um, prepare you, or was it, how did you move into doing camera work, which you call your passion?
0: Yeah, you know, a little bit of a sort of curve there. Um, Of course, I've always been a photographer in high school you know, and all that kind of stuff. Growing up, I was uh, very much involved with motorsports. So photography is a huge part of that. Um, I just sort of gave up before I tried, honestly, um, in college. And um, that was right when the IT world was kind of exploding. And it was actually very exciting, everything that was happening in that world. So I kind of jumped on that wave and really, really jumped into it. And within a year, I was working on uh, really big network systems. Um, I was sort of a backup systems specialist and network infrastructure uh, development and building and all that kind of stuff. So we kind of did a lot with the internet as it was coming to be. And um, then right after that, uh, working with, kind of led into working with the NSA on digital imaging um, management. Digital media management, um, basically a lot of satellite imagery, and so that sort of started steering me back into imagery, and um, that was right around when the first real sort of digital cinema cameras started popping up, um, like the Viper and the Dalsa, primarily. The Genesis, I didn't have a, a chance to to get to work on that that soon, but I did with the Dalsa a little bit, and the Viper for sure and the F900. Um, and so there were pretty much all of a sudden, I was a computer and a lot of data on set and backups, which was kind of my world. And so I, I kind of saw an opening again. And I said, you know what? I wasn't really having fun with the IT anymore. We sort of uh, blown all the budgets and built out all the infrastructures for the dot coms that went under. And um, I sort of decided I should go back and try to do what I always wanted to do which was to work with uh, image creation and content creation. So um I had that in there with the uh with the digital uh imaging. And so I jumped in very hard and um it was also right around the time where because of the digital imaging the 3D was coming uh into its own or coming back into its own. And um I hooked up with uh, Jason Goodman who was developing a 3D, a single-body 3D camera out of two DVX-100s. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some of the people here at Panasonic are actually very familiar with that camera that he built himself. And I actually did a lot of shooting with Jason and with that camera. And uh, I had a, as you pointed out earlier, we were talking, I had a HVX-200 myself. And so Panasonic has always been with me there since, sort of, since the beginning. And, um... Yeah, I've kind of come full circle. Just a month ago, I bought myself an EVA1 and um, decked it out with all the hot, uh, the wooden camera stuff and um, been really happy with it and blown away by what you can achieve with it. And it really puts in perspective coming back from like DVX-100 to where we are now. So it's pretty exciting.
1: Dave, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, you're kind of, and swap the microphone. Talk a little bit about the for you, you're not an owner operator. You 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 will shoot like not whatever they got, right? Uh,
2: yeah. I I, I am a, a technical person. I try to know just about enough to get me in trouble. But I will say that um, I will use just about any camera they give me. It's about for me, it's about storytelling. Um, and usually the cinematographer does a great job of picking the right camera for the job if i'm giving input i certainly will say you know this is the one that i've had the most experience with this is the you know how i like to work um i just did a a pilot um uh last what 2 weeks ago right before nab um called bad it was called bad boys but it was bad girls um and that was shot on the vericam 35 uh, bob gans selected the camera and uh, we were constantly going back and forth from 24 frames to 120 frames we were using all different kinds of isos we were shooting in we were shi- i don't know if you guys have ever been to the edison downtown um, but we were using very low lighting down there and it looked amazing um, so have some experience with that camera as well um, it's about the same form factor as all the rest the lt is much smaller compared to the the Vercam 35 um, but I didn't get my hands on it. St- it was always on the Steadicam Jerry O'Malley was using it um, But I really enjoyed the, the experience the viewfinder all that it was great um, there's two adjustments on the uh, on the diopter for you So you can in a, you can zoom in on the actual image, and then you can also focus it which is great for my tired eyes these days um, And you know when it comes to for me when it comes to telling the story I want everybody to be able to see the image the way I see it and I think that as we get through this digital cinematography, as it as it advances as fast as it has, um, I've got people coming up to me going, "Hey, did you see that in the corner? Did you see that cable? Did that was that all right with you?" I'm like, "You're the makeup artist. What are you? What are you looking at?" <laughs> <laughs> but everybody sees it, and it's uh, it's great because you can actually have those kind of discussions. Um, sometimes they're fun. Sometimes they're not so fun. Um, but you find out different ways of uh, adapting to the, the, the style of the show. Um, in that case, it was a lot of, like I said, going back and forth. We were shooting an action sequence out at the Santa Monica Pier. Uh, that was my first day on the job. And I was running around handheld. The other cameras were you know, long lensed all the way in on uh, you know, 11 to ones or 12 to ones. And uh, we, we were just it up. And, and having the ability to, to run around free and shoot stuff and feel confident that we were given what the cinematographer wanted.
1: Um, It was great. You had mentioned, uh, we were talking about the, 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 you think that Maybe the DP chose that particular camera because they were shooting uh, in some interior. Yeah, club. I,
2: not having I did not have this conversation with Bob, but my I suspect because we were shooting in all kinds of different situations and low lighting, and it was just easier to kind of pick an ISO for that scene and be able to adapt to the being able to go to 120 frames just like that. You know, like being able to make that change, um, and that's what we that's what we did. I mean. We were constantly going back and forth um,
1: the, the the couple of days I worked on it. I wanted, to <laughs> ask, uh, I wanted to ask Lawrence, uh, with, with this in mind, with so many shooters uh, that are in Dave's position where they're just rolling up on set and this is the camera, what is Panasonic doing to reach out to them to make sure that, that when they encounter the Panasonic camera and making sure that the feature set is what they need?
3: Well, part of my role, I mean, luckily I've spent almost 28 years with, with manufacturers across the board. So having the chance to uh, develop products and accessories from the ground up to say, well, you know, you need a, a decent uh, eye relief on a viewfinder. It's got to be bright. You've got to have heated viewfinder. You've got to have the diopter plus the zoom. The camera's got to be light, but balance well. So it's a, it's, a, it, you're, it's a high wire act trying to get everything set up correctly, um, but at the same time have functionality and be able to be easy for the manufacturer to service manufacturing in the first place, so it's it's incredibly difficult to get everything in one body. I don't know if I've ever seen a perfect camera yet. There's been a few that have been close, um, but it's vital that we get to work as manufacturers with camera assistants and operators and directors of photography to be able to figure out. You didn't like that. All right, we'll make that change. You want this firmware upgrade? We'll make that change. You need this done in the viewfinder. You want that bracket tweaked slightly. So it's it's a constant evolution for us to be able to make that work that also aren't extortionately expensive and of course our third party manufacturers as well we have a lot of contact to say we'll make the camera body if you want x y and z bracket here are the plans we know wooden camera have done a ton of stuff in the past before and done it really really well so it's it's an amalgamation of many many um at the point of uh of the last year you're on we worked with the dp directly on that one uh and we did a lot of um you know uh Handholding and demos and low light stuff and testing and yeah. just made sure that he was comfortable with um, the VeriCam and, and it, from what I've heard the footage looks fantastic. So I was I was blown away. Yeah. Was yeah, it's that was a, a new was p- oh yeah, <laughs> but it's it, again it's you know you have the the tools in camera now to be able to shoot in random conditions to go from 23.8 to high speed and do it quickly. That's key, of course. Um, so um, conditions and I mean I've been to the Edison that's a that's a minefield of cables and pipes down there and have mm-hmm. ever seen a nightclub before in standard conditions You know you don't have a lot of room to start throwing up You know sea stands and flags everywhere and you have got to move quickly. So it's it's nice to have the ability with the tools to be able to do that
1: Pedro you you you're an owner operator and you have been for some time yeah. so talk a little bit about I mean when you make an investment, it's not just the money that it costs, but also is it going to work? I mean, and you work, you said, underwater, steadicam. Uh, in a variety of situations, I would assume that you would want a camera that's going to be able to perform in those. So uh, what was it about the EDA one that made you like make that decision?
0: Yeah, um, you know, me and cameras, it's like when I sort of started all this, the HVX200 was kind of it. I was like, everyone's way in. And um, it was... Very similar, i guess to the e v a one in that it 's very versatile. It had new frame rates at the time <laughs> twenty four and um, you know I, I have to say though after the h v after I sort of outgrew the hVX and I started working more in the professional world, um, aside from a slight um, a few encounters with the three d a one camera that panasonic put out for for three d uh Panasonic sort of disappeared from my from my uh my daily life um as a <laughs> yeah, as a as a professional operator and um it wasn't until a couple years ago or, um i don't know how long the the vericam's been out but maybe a couple years ago right i saw it come out and i was like oh that's interesting you know and i gave it a look and then i i encountered one, i encountered one on a job uh put on my steady cam flew great and the images were really eye-opening and it sort of put it put it on the map for me and then about a year and a half ago i don't dp very often but i had a chance to dp a music video and so i'm good friends with the guys at hot rod cameras and he ely was always talking very much about the, the varicam 35 and the lt and all this stuff and so i said you know what, i'm going to give it a try and we're going to do some low light stuff, um, some variable frame rate. And so I tried it, and it blew me away. Um, we had a very small budget. We put it in all sorts of different conditions, and um, I flew it on my Steadicam. I did handheld. Um, we had very little lighting budget, and uh, the results were far beyond what they should have been. And I was very happy, and most of all, I was very happy with sort of which I could say is like the image out of the camera. Even though we are shooting log, um, we quickly put a lot, you know, uh, as as we started to look at the footage. And um, it was, it kind of had a little bit of a character to it, which really attracted me. So um, as somebody else put it, it looks like an Alexa. (laughs) 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 Which, you know, it's it's definitely a compliment because I think... um, coming from the the cinema world the alexis sort of establish itself as a standard like a lot of airy cameras do have in the past also um and i think that comment is speaking to this sort of aesthetic quality that the the sensor can put out um come more or less out of the camera you know it's sort of a smoothness it's, it has to do with the highlights and um It's definitely what got my attention, and the project came out great, and I told myself, wow, if I could only afford it, I would definitely buy one of these so that I could use it for my own projects, because it's great. And the, you know, the the LT was out at the time, and I looked at that also, but just slightly out of reach. And um, when the EVA 1 was announced, then it really got my attention, because... In my mind, I know there are definitely some differences between the um, LT and the vericam 35 sensor and the EVA sensor. But off the bat, I was like, whoa, okay. Well, there's a $7,000 uh, LT or vericam 35. You know, it's gonna have dual native ISO, the right size sensor. It's gonna shoot to inexpensive media and sort of just started really che- checking off a lot of boxes you know, because there's a lot of other cameras that sort of play in this in this zone, but the uh, AVA-1 definitely checked off a lot of important boxes. The, f- you know, filter wheel, um, the variable frame rate uh, abilities, and uh, definitely the inexpensive media was something that really caught my attention as somebody who's, you know, um, going to be using the camera a lot and, um, you know, and the quality that you were getting on that media, I figured eventually you'd be able to get raw out of the SDI, and that has now come to pass. Um, with the amazing uh, new announcement with the, uh, um, I'm sorry, I forgot Adamus. the Apple, uh, the, uh, Apple Pro-res the ProRes raw. RAW, which sounds really interesting. So um, it's making the it, the Eva's conti- starting to if, continue to evolve into an even more attractive proposition, I think, for a lot of people. And then to take it into a situation like uh, he was just describing here with like a professional setting that they're already using LTs and 35s and it f- jumps right in there as maybe a camera you could put on a drone because of its incredible lightweight. Um, I think I think. And what like goes, on the uh, footwell of a car or like, yeah, you know, hanging is, off somewhere.
2: Is it's not just form factor. It yeah. has to do probably with post flow, getting posted on, on board with what you want to do. You start introducing all these different file systems and everything. I think they, they really freak out. Um, they want it a certain way, and they want it that way all the time. So I think that that, that would go to that in terms of yeah. understanding how to implement the
0: EVA that way. And the LUTs I was using on the, on the L, from the LT, I just applied them on the EVA. and They looked pretty much right on them. I mean, we tweaked it a little bit. Because um, of highlights and whatnot, but um, it matched really well. I mean, we used a uh, GH5 the other day also, mm-hmm. you know, uh, along with the EVA. Those two paired very well together. Also, obviously, there's a lot of talk about um, those two um, in conjunction. But I think the overall um, proposition of the EVA is extremely, extremely uh, attractive. It uh, hits the right price point. Hits a lot of a lot of the important sort of things. Where there's a lot of people like me, so what's my use of the camera as owner operator? So I own a company called Cinemild. We make a lot of accessories for the gimbal uh, gimbal world. Uh, we make accessories for all the gimbals out there, Movi and Ronin, and um, even Tilta. But so I have to make a lot of product videos. A lot of my, the things that I make end up online and don't go any further than that. So there's really no use for anything more than like an Eva. Um, I really need it just to be fast and workflow to, to just pop right in and edit and put it up on the web. And so for my uses, it's exactly what I needed. I definitely wanted something with a little bit more of a cinema look. I wanted you know XLR inputs for my LOVs. I didn't want to have to rig up a GH5 with a bunch of extra accessories which ended up then looking and being about the size of an Eva anyway. So I'd rather start off with something that was a little bit more complete as a camera. And so for sort of my, I guess, corporate industrial use of my own purposes, uh, it's been perfect. And there's, I, I got the PL mount from wooden camera, and, um, you know, I'm going to throw that on there so I can have a little bit more freedom with the lens selection. I want and uh, I look oh. forward to shooting a little shorts and stuff like that with it. I think it's going to be great.
1: I wanted to ask Dave, uh, as someone that, how much preparation do you get? Like when you like when you do day playing and stuff like that. As far as like oh. what, uh, when you, when
2: you day play, you don't get. There's no prep. Um, but going into pilots, if you know, if I'm on if I'm the A camera operator I'm on the pilot, there'll usually be a day in there to go in. Sometimes it's a test day, m- married to me going in. Um, a lot of the assistants I work with, um, they'll. They understand how I want to use the camera. How certain things are important to me. Balance is very important to me. It's not the size. It's actually how it sits on my shoulder if I'm doing a lot of handheld. Um, and so I'll work with them. Oh, there's a lot of third-party cages um, and things like that. They get you know put on the cameras and in working just the form factor out. I, I personally like to work small and quick. So um, if, I build, if we build a camera for handheld, a lot of times I just want to work in that system unless we're going to go to one of those bigger, like tw- the 12-to-1 or the 11-to-1 lenses. Um, I really try to work in that handheld form so that I can click it off, put the quick release right on my shoulder and start to run with it. Um, it makes everybody uh, kind of jump to and, and, and things move quicker on set. When the camera gets to where it's got to go, people start looking at the image and they say, okay, that's in the shot. We've got to move that. This is going to happen. And um, it's just the faster we can work and the more efficiently we can work, the better the, the, better the workflow is on, on set for everybody, and the sooner we get done. And we're still making good, good images.
0: you know. The boot up time is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a small thing, but yeah. like you mentioned, there's so many people looking at the monitor these days. So as soon as you can get an image up. Yeah,
2: can we just see the image? Can we see
0: the image?
3: <laughs> so. So, Startup time for all varicams from flipping the switch to getting monitored outputs is three seconds. Three <laughs> That's three, whole three whole seconds. We're <laughs> we trying to make it faster. <laughs> really sorry.
0: The beauty's
3: but in the it's, details. It, it's again, yeah, it's things like that. It's it's a decent viewfinder, it's a well balanced body, it's a quick start-up time. It's changing frame rates, it's changing resolutions. It has to be done quickly. As, as you say, everyone's looking at the monitor, everyone's a critic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the script girl or script person. Yeah, absolutely yeah, everybody, everybody. Yeah, no,
3: everyone. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's great. Like if they're
2: off, the, if they get off their iPhones,
3: then they are. You
2: <laughs> know.
3: I, I love it when craft service calls out on our cameras. It's just fantastic. <laughs> but it, it that hasn't happened yet. But
1: I'm sure it will. Um, well, speaking of getting called out, I think we're about to wrap up. But I wanted to ask, like, uh, just in closing, uh, both you guys could just talk just briefly about the soc and what it's meant to you as uh, to be a member how it's how it has enhanced your career just just really briefly um I'll,
2: I'll go first um i'm on the i'm on the board of governors for the soc it was something that i didn't take lightly when i was asked to to, to run and serve and it it's a society that is filled with a bunch of people uh that are in in, in a lot of ways like-minded we're all working in the same business doing the same job and what it allowed me to do is be able to share some of my stories and connect with people um, sometimes people who i 've looked up to in my career, other people that are you know behind me and looking at career advice it 's just a great place to kind of commiserate and to utilize these different types of educational aspects you know coming into these these panels and talking, but also um, you know the the teaching stuff that goes on with the underwater workshop the crane workshop, the aerial workshop the you know we really do try to, to, to invite all our members out to these, these things and to keep people learning and understanding that this business that we're in is constantly evolving. And um, I feel really honored to actually you know be able to sit up on this panel tonight um, as well as be on the board. And I, I think that it's something that I'll continue doing for a, for a long time. And hopefully you guys will you know keep coming out and doing these projects with us. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, um, just like you mentioned, um, you know, it was was something I strived for for a long time. I think uh, as soon as I started getting into operating, I met a few members and learned more about what the SOC is and what they do. And immediately was lucky enough to grab a pile of SOC magazines that I really just devoured. Um, I think the magazine's a great resource, and I um, very happy that a lot of people put a lot of work into uh, making that as good as it is because um, for you know for somebody starting out, those magazines can be you know full of amazing information. And um, But yeah, mostly I think the SSC is about the people, the people that you meet, the people that are involved in the organization, and the things they do also, you know, like you mentioned, all the events. Um, but definitely, you know, being able to come to events like this and shake hands and meet people that you know and people that you don't know and, um, start relationships that, you know, maybe you go home later, you look them up on IMDB and you go, oh my God, he worked on that thing. I love that movie. And then next time you come out and, um, you can have a conversation with them and maybe pick up a thing or two or, um, maybe even, uh, have a mentor. You know, and so there's definitely been people that I've met through the SOC that are now my friends and I've ended up working with them and um, they have gotten me, uh, brought me on certain things and vice versa and so I think, you know, people are the most important resource on set and the SOC does a really good job at emphasizing that aspect um, and bringing a lot of attention to the role of the operator on set and how valuable we can be to a production. And um, I am really happy to be a part of it and honored. And, um, you know, look forward to the awards every year. I don't always make it out to the awards, but uh, it's fantastic that they do put that on. I know it's a tremendous undertaking. So every year, in case uh, people that are watching this don't know, there's uh, the SoC Awards. And um, it's uh, an amazing night where... You know, a lot of people in the industry can get together and uh, shed light on uh, not just operators but, uh, you know, dolly grips and focus pullers and, uh, you know, a lot of people that make this world turn. So, and that, I guess uh, for, that don't usually get a lot of attention.
1: Uh, for folks watching this, and obviously you guys know that uh, the website is soc.org. Uh, a lot of these people who
2: are, are doing business with us, through, not just through the SOC, but also helping to, to reach out to our membership. Um, it, I just want to strongly encourage all of you out there. Um, to, to join SOC. You can join as an associate member if you don't have five years of active operating experience. Um, it's but
1: inexpensive, right?
2: It's, yeah, I, it's very nominal in terms of, I think, what you can get out of it. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, growth um, we're starting to see more of our educational aspects and uh, classes being taught in Atlanta, and we're looking at doing another one in the Midwest. Um, we're going to be getting ready to do a live, um, actually a live camera um, demo, too. And I think that's going be, be to be a panel like this, and I think it will also be educational where we'll get your hands on everything.
3: Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. Again, it's, it's a pleasure for us to, to host the SOC here. We thank you for all for coming. Um, it's important for us as Panasonic to be able to work with operators to continue to evolve and make our product better, so it's easier for operators to work with and getting the functionality we mentioned earlier. And it's an it's an honor to get to know um, the new faces amongst you. And thank you, everybody.
1: Appreciate it. For more information about the Society of Camera Operators, including how to join, go to the website at soc.org. To find out more about Panasonic professional products, including the Varicam LT, 35, and Pure, as well as the all-new EVA-1, their website is pro-av.panasonic.net.
0: You've been listening to the Indie Shooter Podcast. For the latest filmmaking news and product reviews, go to indieshooter.com.